0: Courage. Uh, There's an old song that goes, We must be strong and courageous. We have got to stand. And that's what we're doing tonight. We're standing against the powers of darkness, against the power of fear. And uh, we're so glad that you are here once again this evening. We want to open up our Bibles tonight, Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to also have another scripture that we're looking at this evening. Uh, We want to look at Luke chapter 9. Uh, toward the end of the chapter there, verses 57 and 58. So again, Exodus chapter 3 and Luke chapter 9, verses 57 and 58. And man, I'm so grateful for what God is doing. Uh, You have no idea all of the miracles that had to have happened in order for us to be right where we are tonight. You have no understanding of... Uh, all that God has been doing behind the scenes. And I would just want to say thank you. Thank you for the faithful p- people of this congregation who give and who support and who labor. I want to say thank you to everyone who was on outreach yesterday. Uh, we have special uh, a place in the hearts for people who outreach. And, um, and uh, you get special dibs on the goodies when I come back from overseas. A candy and Turkish delights and Chocolates and all kinds of good things. Uh, So one more reason to be on outreach is uh, you never know what kind of goodies you'll get. Hallelujah. But in addition to that, I want to ask you to pray. Uh, I know yesterday I prayed for a couple of people. We prayed with some people on outreach and God is moving. God uses outreach in a powerful way. So uh, just encouraging you in all those things tonight. So this evening we are continuing in a series of sermons that started back a few weeks ago, and we have found ourselves here tonight at Part 4. The name of this series is Defeating Your Ites. And I was inspired to do this sermon as I was reading through uh, the book of Exodus and then into the book of Leviticus and Numbers uh, in our Bible reading plan. And uh, a thought occurred to me as I was reading about how God had promised His people... Uh, This incredible land, the Bible calls it a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of great blessing, a land that had been set apart by God for God's people. But uh, when God gave the promised land and set that destiny before them, how many know tonight that it was a gift that included a lot of problems? It was a gift that included a lot. It's like, it's like one of those uh, boxes that you buy it, from Ikea. I don't know if you've purchased any furniture from Ikea, but I almost dread going this, to this place because I understand that if we buy any furniture, it means labor. It means that I'm going to take hours out of my day to put the thing together once I get home. Uh, back when we had our Christmas and our New Year's celebration here in our church, uh, if you remember, we were giving out some prizes and some gift certificates. And and one of the things that was uh, hilarious to me is that we had this one gift certificate that was a, a 30-day membership to our fitness club uh, right across the way over there. Uh, they were so generous to give that to us. But it was funny, when we were doing our gift exchange, it was like nobody wanted to keep it, man. Because that represents, even though it's a wonderful uh, value, it's a great gift, but you know, there's going to be some sweat and there's going to be some labor involved, and, uh, and this is what it's like for God to give the promised land to his people. He gives them a land that is filled with enemies. He gives them a gift certificate to a fitness program that they're going to have to labor and sweat, and they're going to have to uh, commit to, and this is the land that God promised to them, and as we study each of the names of these enemies uh, it's interesting that we discover someone or something in our lives that we're going to have to confront if we're going to step into the destiny that God has for us i believe tonight that you as an individual christian you have your own destiny with god how many believe that that god didn't create you just to float around in space But God created you with a purpose in mind, with a destiny for your future. And if we are going to achieve what God has set before us, it's going to be because you're willing to confront some of these enemies that we spoke about, we'll talk about this evening also, that I believe every family has a destiny. I believe every church, our church here, Virginia Beach Potter's House Church, has a destiny with God. And, uh, you know, as we are uh, uh, preparing to move into this new building, there are going to be certainly some challenges involved in that. There's going to be some more money involved. There's going to be some projects. No doubt some of you are going to be learning how to paint again, learning how to do some tile on the floor. Uh, as, we, uh, uh, as we begin to uh, prepare for that, listen... It's a wonderful blessing, but the blessings carry some enemies, some difficulties along with them. And we've uh, taken a look at some of the enemies that God uh, identifies in his word that were in the promised land. We looked at the Canaanites, and it's interesting that their name is related uh, to mercantilism or uh, sales, uh, that it is related to the spirit of mammon. And uh, if we're going to enter into the promised land, I want to tell you, you're going to have to conquer mammon, the love of money, holding on tightly, as I mentioned before, tightly to things that really are passing away. We looked at the Hittites, which turned out to be pretty providential, I would say, because just as I was preaching about the Hittites, this enemy, their name meaning terror, fear, meaning the thing that causes Panic in our lives to paralyze us and stop us in our tracks. Listen, if we're going to reach our destiny, we cannot let the Hittite spirit of fear stop us. We have to overcome. We have to take out the sword and we have to do battle with that enemy. We looked last time at the, at the enemy of the Amorites. The Amorites represented a people who, uh, who were boasters. The, their name simply means the loudmouths, the sayers. It's the Goliath spirit who lifts up his voice and curses God and diminishes the people. They had a reason to be boasters because they were descendants of the Rephaim, the giants, as the Bible says. And so it is with big words. How many know that, uh, that they seem imposing like Goliath? But the good news about these enemies is that they go down pretty easily. David, it only took him one stone to defeat Goliath, but a big heart was necessary. If we're going to reach our destiny with God, if we're going to enter our promised land, we're going to have to defeat the words that the enemy whispers in our ears that seem so taunting and so massive that we could never defeat them. But in reality, we're a lot stronger than we think. Can you say amen? We're going to look tonight at the fourth enemy that is in the promised land. The fourth enemy that is listed in the Word of God that we're going to have to confront and do battle against, and the name of this enemy is called the Perizzites. Let's read it together tonight. Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and tonight we're looking at the Perizzites. Not the parasites, but we're looking at the Perizzites. Amen. And then we're going to look at Luke chapter 9 in just a moment, but let's take this opportunity to pray together. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We're asking you, Lord, once again, give your people courage and strength, I pray. Give us the understanding to confront the enemies of hell that are arrayed against us. God, that you would give us the Spirit to conquer and to overcome in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Amen. Let's look at the Parasites tonight. And uh, you might get a clue uh, from the the title of this message. Parasites are defeating the village people. Okay. So the village people. It's interesting when I began to study the name of this people that their name, it literally means. People of the village. People, uh, as opposed to the cities, these are people of the villages. People of the rural community. The word literally means uh, from a small town. And what we can learn from that tonight, the enemy that we must defeat, is the spirit that falls in love with home and with comfort, with familiar places. Some of you might be from a village, from a small town. And one of the things that you understand about people from those places is that they know everything there is to know about their little town. Back when we lived in Bulgaria in Eastern Europe, uh, people who live in the city, everybody has a village that they go back to for the holidays. It's very interesting that during Christmas or Easter or any of the big holidays there, it's like the city becomes a ghost town. And what that is is that people are leaving the cities, they're off of work, and they're traveling maybe two or three hours uh, to a little village, a little community of you know, just uh, uh, less than 100 families. It's out in the countryside. It's usually a farm. It's usually a place that's very calm and quiet. And serene and idyllic, and it is a nice place to go visit uh one time we had the pleasure one of these Easter holidays. uh we took the opportunity with Pastor John Dumas uh some of you might know him, but he was uh he was a missionary in Bucharest at the same time that we were missionaries there in bulgaria and uh and so his wife was uh had a family. Who lived in one of these villages, and he wanted to take us out there to experience what the village life was like and It was incredible to me because as we went out there, uh, it was literally like traveling back in time. It was uh, you know uh, we, we left Bucharest, the large, bustling, westernized city lights and cars everywhere, and as we were driving it only maybe an hour outside of the city limits but it was, we began to notice a change in the landscape. It was, the city began to fade away. And even on our last trip, Jaylee came with us and we went to a village that was very much like this. And it was farmland and the, 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 there was a dirt road. And we got out to this little house that had been built by hand and it was no running water and it was no electricity and people were ha- operated by candlelight and kerosene lamps. And, uh, and man, you just stop talking for a moment, and you're like, whoa, it's really quiet out here. It's almost a little scary. I don't hear any cars. I don't hear any airplanes. Uh, it was life in the village. And we, we, we went out there for Easter. There was a little lamb that they had prepared for us. They were going to slaughter this lamb and cook it, and we are going to eat it. Uh, and you know, we got there and we saw this little lamb and I've preached about it before, but, uh, you know, I felt so bad because they took this lamb and you know, they, right in front of us, they cut its throat and they're bleeding out and it's, Oh, it was so heartbreaking. And we were crying. My wife to a oh, little lamb and, and then they hung it up by its back feet and they began to pull all of the skin off. Oh, it's terrible. And, uh, they began to cut it apart and, uh, and then they put that thing on the grill. And at that point, we stopped crying, and we started getting very hungry, and we were saying, thank you, little lamb, for your sacrifice. Oh, what a wonderful day we had. And we learned how to eat garlic on that trip. There was a little baba, a little grandma who lived out in the village. She... She didn't, she'd never seen a cell phone, a computer in her life. She, they didn't even have a television. No electricity. But there she is. You know what she was doing? She was sitting at the table, and she was peeling garlic cloves for us. And she would take a garlic clove, uh, wrap it up in a piece of bread, and just be handing them out the whole time. Just a bread with a whole clove of garlic. Man, we were stinking up the place. It was beautiful. But that is life in the village. Very few distractions a lot of comfort you get things the way you like them and they stay the same life in the village is protect- predictable life in the village you know what you're getting life in the village you know everybody everybody knows everybody else all up in everybody's business but there is something very attractive about life in the village life in the village is comfortable life in the village represents a life of ease something that we know what we're getting and it's very easy to fall in love with that it's very easy to let that kind of life become an enemy it's very easy to fall in love with comfort can you say amen life will not let you do that thankfully but I was thinking about this love of comfort, and we actually did a podcast episode on it a while back. And I was thinking about this as we were talking uh, there in the car recording this episode. And it, uh, it's kind of like, if, have you ever known somebody who falls in love with someone for all the wrong reasons? Have you ever known like a man who falls in love with a girl who you know that if he marries this girl... It's going to be bad. He's in love with her, but it's for all the wrong reasons. Or conversely, maybe you know a girl who uh, is infatuated with some guy and you know that it's for all the wrong reasons. And if she gets hitched to this dude, it is going to be pandemonium. It is going to be a fight every day. It is going to be horrible and you try to warn people you try to say, hey, you know, I don't know if this is the right person for you. Uh, but that's what it's like tonight. That's what it's like for God's people especially to fall in love with comfort. Comfort is a uh, is, is someone that we can put on a pedestal. Comfort is an enemy that we can... Uh, We can court and we can date this idea of comfort. But I want to tell you, don't marry her. Because comfort will make a terrible, terrible companion. If you fall in love with the idea, oh, I I just long for the days that my life could be easy. I long for the days that I could sit back on the porch and sip some lemonade. And I know all of my problems have been solved. And, uh, you know, the Bible, Jesus described a person like that. Jesus described a man who looked at his, all of that he had produced with his life, the barns and bigger barns, and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take my great wealth. I'm going to reinvest it. All my life will be great. I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. I'm going to sit back on the porch with my hat and my rocking chair and my lemonade, and it's going to be wonderful. And what did Jesus say about him? You're a fool for the Christian. The enemy of the parasite is the enemy of the love of comfort, the love of the life of the village. Let me. Let me give you a few dangers tonight of being one of the village people. Number one, you have to wear a feather headdress. No, no. you always have, when you fall in love with the idea of comfort and ease, the problem with living in the village, living in a place of comfort and ease, is that you always have somewhere to run every time you face a challenge. This was a great problem that we ran into back in the Chandler Church when I was a disciple there. We, If you don't know, Chandler, Arizona is is right next to a very large Indian reservation. And from time to time, uh, we would have Native American people get saved and come to the church. And still to this day, there's a, a large number of Native American people that are in the church there. But one of the great problems we run into with making disciples out of Native American people is that if things would get tough, if, for example, if Pastor Campbell had to deal with one of these men and confront them about some issue that was in their heart, if we began to challenge them about being on time or about making their lives holy or about getting free from a certain sin or whatever, if we began to deal with them, we notice a trend that these men or, or women many times, that they instead of dealing with those things, instead of sitting down and letting a rebuke, Uh, have its power, what they would do is they'd simply run back, run back to the reservation. See, in the reservation, if you don't know, when you're living on the reservation as a Native American person, man, it's like there's no difficulties. You get a check from the government, you get housing, you get medical care. You know, it's one of the, actually one of the greatest uh, tragedies that is upon those people is that they get... They get this lifestyle for free. It's paid for by somebody. But if you are a Native American, you can live on the res for nothing. It's a life of great comfort. It's a life of, you know, you have a place to stay. You have a check coming in. You don't have to work hard. But you know what it produces in people? Incredible laziness. These are people, many of them, and you, maybe you've heard the story from Pastor Artie Aragon. He's, he is a pastor on the Indian Reservation, and he's, he says that out of all of the pastors in our fellowship, he holds the record for the number of funerals that he has performed. People who have died, from drug overdoses, alcohol, and much of that is related to what we're talking about right now. It's an addiction to the life of the village people. Anytime there is a challenge, anytime God begins to press and say, you know what, time to rise up, time to get free from this or that, when you're in love with comfort, it's like you always have somewhere to run back to. I see people in the the church and people in the kingdom, it seems like every time God begins to deal with them, every time God begins to speak to them about destiny and calling, It's like we run back to this little corner of comfort. We run back to this little place where, oh, I know that it's going to be okay. So for some people, it's running back to money. It's running back to the job. It's running back to the extra hours. It's running back. It's a dangerous game to play. The second danger of the village life, the parasite enemy is that we become unwilling to risk for God. If you've ever known somebody who is from a rural community, lives in a very small town, it's a very difficult thing for them to think about going away from that life. This is why some people join the military, because for them it's the only way that they see that they can get out of that tiny little community, but one of the things of living in a village, in a place like that, is it's very scary, the the idea of leaving this, this place, this little bubble of comfort, and to venture out into other things, and what that is, is an unwillingness to risk, unwillingness to risk. Now, the fact that you are here tonight, the fact that you are not huddled up in your home tonight tells me that every one of you, you have a certain willingness to risk, right? There is some kind of risk, uh, you know, if we we allow um, the, the, um, the panic of the hour to affect us, then, you know, that risk in our minds can become bigger and bigger until it overwhelms us. But, you know, there is a certain risk to everything we do. But there is a truth about risk. If you're unwilling to risk... And you'll never receive a reward. If all you do is stay in the village, you will never see the benefits of leaving. You'll never see, you know, uh, some people who n- would never get on an airplane. I, it's almost funny to me with how much I've traveled on airplanes, but, you know, sometimes I'll meet somebody never been on the airplane. You always know them, the people who've never been on airplanes before, when they're on the airplane, You can look around and see those people. You know, they're holding on tightly to the armrests. They're gritting their teeth. They're closing their eyes. They're sweating. And, and, And that's mostly, these are people with a village mentality. Never want to venture too far. Unwilling to take risks. The third problem with village people is that they're small minded. Small minded people have a small God who has only a limited amount of power. What happens is when we begin to trust in our comfort, when we live in this arena of the familiar, what it does is it limits us. It limits God. We say, oh, no, it's not possible. God could never do something like that because we've never seen it. We've never heard of that. That's what what it's like to be from a small place. And uh, and the interesting thing is that this word in the Hebrew, parasite, it carries an additional meaning that I haven't told you about yet. Not only does it mean someone who is from a village or from a small place, rural community, it also means to be dominated or ruled over. And really, when we fall in love with comfort... We are falling in love with something that will dominate over us. It will rule over you. This is a God that intends to control you. And this is the problem with people who never break out of those comfort zones. People who never r- risk beyond the things that they know. It is, they become slaves to the village Mentality. But this is where our second scripture comes into play. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. This is, uh, this is Jesus as he's dealing with discipleship. Listen to what he says. Luke 9, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. So that's a, that's a big statement. That's a big commitment. That's a big risk that whoever this person was wanted to take with Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go. This is a person who's trying to break out from the village mentality, break out from the familiar. Jesus, I want to be with you. And look at how Jesus responds to him. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the son of man Has nowhere, everybody say nowhere. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, tonight, he's telling this person who's made a big proclamation and a big promise, he's saying to him, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be involved in my lifestyle, you're going to have to get used to being uncomfortable. A fox has a hole that he can crawl into and hide. A bird has a nest that he can go and have a little breathing room. But the Son of Man, the Son of Man who came to redeem the world, he says, I don't even have a place to stay. I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight, to be honest with you. That's what Jesus is saying. I don't have a plan. Uh, he, Jesus had everything that he needed, right? He had a connection with God. He had, uh, he had wisdom and understanding. He had the Spirit. He was perfectly led, perfectly obedient to the Holy Spirit. But one thing he did not have is he did not have assurance. He did not have the Spirit of the parasite, being in love with comfort and ease. If you're going to be successful in stepping into destiny, There's got to be a piece of this at work in your life. See, when we're talking about defeating the enemies in the promised land, this is more than just swinging a sword and doing battle. What we have to understand is that we are taking a stand against these mentalities. By fighting against these enemies, we're making a statement that you are incorrect. Your way of life, your worldview does not line up With the kingdom of God. And if we're going to take in, if we're going to take the promised land that God has for us, you and I are also going to have to do that. We're going to have to make a judgment in our lives that I will not allow the parasite to live in my promised land. I will not become one of the parasite people. In fact, I'm going to fight against it directly. Defeating the love of home. Oh, it's nice to be home, isn't it? You almost don't want to leave home at all. You know, I'm thinking about a 14-day quarantine, and I'm thinking to myself, ah, it wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> There's a few projects I could get done around here. Uh, I could catch up on my sleep, you know what I'm saying? Home is a, is a wonderful place to be but you can't fall in love with it. Home may be a place of comfort, but you don't want to get married to the idea of comfort. How do we defeat this enemy that calls and beckons to us, oh, just come home? Well, there's a little two-letter word that will inspire you tonight. And it is the word go. And the idea of go, the idea of stepping out for God is interwoven throughout all of the word of God. It is there written on the back wall. The first word of the Great Commission is the word go. When God spoke to our forefather in the faith, Abram, he said to him in Genesis 12, verse 1, he said, get out. Say, get out. Is that comfortable? Is that fun all the time? No, it's, it's definitely not something that we look forward to. You know, you wake up in the morning and, you, you know, you got to go to your job and you're like, get out of bed. Nobody likes that. Man, I want to be comfortable. I want to sleep a few extra hours. I want to do something. I want to, man, I just want to lay back. Man, and when I, when I finally roll out of bed, I just want to eat some bacon and drink some water. And I want to, man, I, I want to be home. Well, listen, if you live your whole life like that, what will you accomplish? The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country. Get out from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. God's first command to the father of our faith Is get out of here, Abram. You're too comfortable. You're not going to experience the blessing that I have for you until you move, until you change your physical location. We're living in a generation now where people are, young people, are living with their parents for more and more years. It seems like, you know, when I was a teenager, man. I could not wait to get my driver's license. It was like, man, that, that seemed like the pinnacle of my existence as a human, is to get a driver's license so I could go wherever the heck I wanted to go. It was the, the freest experience. I had this 1978 piece of junk, but you know what? I could drive it all by myself. And I could go where I wanted. And listen, yes, that means I had to work a job. That means I had to pay insurance. That means I had to put gas in that Eight-cylinder beast. Man, that but man, back in those days, late 90s, man, gas was cheap. I'm starting to sound like an old person. But man, it was freedom. I was like, spread my wings, 16 years old, and I could do what I want. And and it was more than just a permission. It was it, it represented to me taking risk. It represented growth as a human being, as a man. We've got to defeat the love of home. That's why in marriage, God describes marriage like this. He says that a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. That there is a leaving that must take place before a successful marriage can be bonded together. It's the spirit of fighting against the parasite. Jesus said in our scripture in the Great Commission, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In other words, we cannot accomplish this without a sense of discomfort. We're not going to sit on our couches and be successful preaching the gospel. We're not going to be comfortable. We're not going to reach nations without digging deep and giving and laboring. We're not going to see all that God has for us unless we take a stand against the parasites. Jesus said to His disciples on that last day before He ascended to heaven, He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to Me In Jerusalem, that's where they were. In Judea, that was the surrounding region. In Samaria, that was the place down the road that Jews didn't like to go. And to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying that you're going to have power when you go to be my witnesses in these ever-growing concentric circles of influence. You're going to get further and further away. Listen, you can't do that when you're in love with comfort. Every one of the disciples that was there that day became martyrs for the faith because they obeyed the commandment to go, to give up their comfort, to give up their love of ease and the familiar. And, you know, we know that uh, Thomas, the Apostle Thomas, that he ended up becoming a martyr in India to this day. Uh, we, We believe that he is the one that went the furthest, traveled the farthest distance Uh, away from Jerusalem. Do you think that he was comfortable every day? Do you think that he had a place to lay his head? Do you think that every day was easy? Oh, far from it. The life of a disciple is following Jesus, even when it leads to the cross. So if we're going to defeat the spirit of the parasites, we've got to go. Somewhere in your life, you're going to have to give up some comfort. and You know what? Go. Go witness to that person. Go give to something you wouldn't normally give to, right? If When you make up your mind, you know what? I'm going to put this love of comfort away so that I can do something for God. We must be willing to risk. Everybody say risk. Risk is a tricky thing. It's hard for us, but without risk, there is no reward. Behold the turtle who only makes progress when he sticks his neck out. That's a good way to live, beloved. You and I will only make progress for the Lord when we are willing to stick our necks out. And finally, I want to close with this thought. Where we need to live. The idea of where we find our comfort, where we find our ease For most people, we find our ease in a place of comfort. Man, as Americans, we've got it made. If you've ever traveled anywhere outside of the United States, you know how good we have it. Just coming back from Ukraine, a formerly Eastern Bloc nation, being reminded how people in most of the world live. We had a guy come the very first service on Sunday morning. To, a, uh, to, our, to our revival service, and, uh, and he smelled like alcohol. He's the guy that Pastor Dennis testified, who had had a stroke. He had numbness in his legs. I prayed for him in that service, and glory to God, uh, he received uh, healing in his legs. He, all of a sudden, he felt all these pins and needles as the blood began to flow well into his legs, and he was so happy. It was beautiful. God healed this man. But you know, after the service was over, talking a little bit to him, he's trying to tell me through the interpreter, through the translator, about his life a little bit. And you know what we discovered? He lives on the streets. He's got a bag with him, a, a big, giant plastic bag. And in that bag is all of his earthly possessions. He's got no place to go. Like he leaves from the service and he finds a bench to sit on until the evening service comes. And you know what? This guy was in every single revival service while I was there. <laughs> you want to see somebody who is, you know, living on the edge, a person like that. And even people who have money, people who have influence and resources in places like that, can you imagine that they are living in houses that are the size of two of your bedrooms? Even the pastor, I don't want to embarrass him, but you know, he's, right now he's living in a room that is attached to the church building. It's no bigger, their entire house is no bigger than my bedroom at my house. He's been living like that for a year. Uh, you know, they, they've got some plans and things in the work to change things up, but you know what? He's willing to do that for the gospel. Him and his two children, him and his wife, they're in a room. That's got to be 500 square feet and a bathroom. And You know what? He stands up and he preaches and he says, glory to God. God is good. I'm not complaining. He's not in love with comfort. That's because the place that he has chosen to live is not in a place, but in a person. I want you to hear this tonight as we close. The place that we choose to live is not a place. is a person. Jesus said these words in John chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So verse 4, abide in me. That means make your home be comfortable in me and I will abide in you. So the home, every one of us has a longing to be home. You know what the problem with that longing is? We will never fulfill that longing completely in this life. No matter how nice your house is, no matter how filled your refrigerator is, No matter how comfortable your mattress is, your longing for home is more than a material desire. It is a spiritual desire. And that desire will never truly be fulfilled until we abide in Christ. You know what happens when we chase after this love of comfort, this love of materialism and wealth? See, the problem with it is you can get the nicest house on the block. But then you're looking at the next block. Oh, man, that guy's got a nicer yard than me. Oh, man. Man, his lawnmower is better than mine. I need to get that other lawnmower. You know, the kind you can ride and drive on? Man, my, this lawnmower is a piece of junk. That's what we do, right? And we start comparing. Oh, man, I've been driving this car for five years. That's too long. Too long to drive a car for five years. My neighbor just got a new car. I got to be like them. I won't be comfortable until I get that. And so the irony of falling in love with comfort is that it produces less comfort, not more. In the end, you'll be less comfortable because you'll be so dissatisfied with your life. That's why, beloved, Jesus says, abide in me. And I in you make your home in Christ, not in the world, not in material things. As we choose to place our home in the heart of Christ. We begin to strike the death blow to the enemy of the parasites who stand in the way of God's promises. I want to close with this little poem. It says, there was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked, he never tried, he never sang, never prayed. And when he one day passed away, his insurance was denied, for since he never really lived, they claimed, he never died. Don't be that person. Refusing to risk and failing to really live. The true Christian life is a life of adventure, a life of taking risk and receiving reward. I want to tell you, I would not be who I am today unless somewhere along the way I took a few risks. You know, moving away from this building, we've got a nice place here, we've got a good space, we've got a nice facility, it's something of a risk to go into this new place and to increase our our payment each month. But you know what? No reward without a risk. And I believe tonight that God has promises ahead of you, but you've been afraid to let go, afraid to leave the village. You've been afraid to confront this idea of less comfort instead of more. I believe tonight as we make our home in the will of God, in Christ, we abide in Him. It won't be comfortable, it won't be easy, but it will be worth it. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes.